0: Hi there, this episode is an audio rip of a YouTube video. If there are any references to the screen or to the video itself, then be sure to go over to YouTube and actually check out the video, which will be the same title as this podcast. Thanks. Okay, so welcome back. Now we're going to start with part one, which is scope Object and fundamental principles. So, this means what is within the range of the book scope. Does the book apply? Does it not apply? Object: What the book's going to do. Fundamental principles: How it's going to do it. Simple as that. So, there will always be. Let's let's remember that the you know the exam is in order. All right, so. I said in the introduction video, I'll mention the exam if needed. This is where you're going to start in in this area. So, with regards to scope, we've got 110.1 General. And it just says, Regulations apply to the design, erection and verification of installations such as those of, and then there's a long list. So, we have we have residential, commercial, industrial, medical, prefabricated buildings, low voltage generating sets. We've got outdoor lighting. We've got caravans. Um, if again, if you're familiar with the regulations, then it's it's it's. Basic systems plus special locations, really. Okay. The um the new one for the 18th edition, obviously, is this very this one at the bottom I'm actually in a way of the um the onshore units of electrical shore connections for inland navigation vessels. But these are all types of electrical systems that are inclusive of the scope of BS seven six seven one. Yeah? Now it also then has 110.1.2. This says the regulations include requirements for. So instead of types of system, this is types of circuits So it's you know it's, um, not types of system, types of environment. This is types of circuit itself. So it applies to circuits up to 1,000 volts AC or 1,500 volts DC. Okay. It's for circuits other than internal wiring of equipment operating voltages exceeding 1,000 volts and arrive from an installation having a voltage not exceeding 1,000 volts. So we can supply a circuit that achieves a voltage over 1,000 volts, but the wiring system itself supplying the equipment shall not exceed 1,000 volts AC and 1,500 volts DC. Because that's when we go in the in the wiring regulations from LV to beyond. So HV, I guess you could say. It also has wiring systems and cables not specifically covered by the standards for appliances. So if you have a... Piece of electrical equipment or an appliance with no applicable standard then this can come into there all consumer installations external to buildings fixed wiring for information communication technology and additions and alterations okay so those are the types of circuit as well that are inclusive of scope so that's 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 scope is there's, there's a, a general list there all these types of systems are inclusive and the type of system. Now we also have 110.1.3. Now, what 110.1.3 is about is where generally BS7671 is applicable such as selection and erection, wiring systems, methods of erection, commissioning, things like that, protection even. But, it says here, generally, but, in certain cases, they may need to be supplemented by the requirements of recommendations of other British or harmonised standards or by the requirements of the person ordering the work. So, by them being supplemented, it means the... BS 7671 may need some support from a finer area that will have either more technical regulation, more technical information, more technical standards, or just a coverage of scope not covered in BS 7671. So, some examples here. Oh well, here's the obvious one there, Mercy Lighting BS 5266. So when we think about emergency lighting from RBS seven six seven one perspective, it will tell us about the wiring system needs to be segregated from all other lighting and power. It will tell us that the wiring system shall not go through an explosive uh, an area that's um, exposed you know exposed to explosions, but should also not go through a fire area. It'll also tell us that there's a classification, so a, a change over time, you know medium break no break very short break it'll also tell us that that there's um you know that there's sources of safety services you know primary cells batteries and things like that when it comes to bs5266 there's more information and that's with regards to duration due to time due to lux levels due to space due to passing width restrictions so there's a lot more into it that you need to if you're involved in mostly lighting systems and you're doing a design mostly lighting systems the range of bs 5266 is very important and so they supplement bs 7671 and if you look at the other standards here we've got um explosive atmospheres fire detection and alarm systems we've got this is one This is what I do uh, other training in, the Temporary Electrical Systems for Events, Entertainment and Related Purposes, BS7909. Now, many electricians install temporary systems for clients to run events or to run an exhibition or whatever. Sometimes with little to no idea about BS7909 because they've not looked for it or they've not been made aware of that. Uh, But BS7909 gives us types of cabling. Um, for example, uh, Arctic Blue, you know, not allowed that in BS 7909. It'll have to be H05 or H07, especially if outdoors. It'll give us um, it'll give us proper um, certification. For example, in BS 7909, there's a requirement with inspection testing if you to verify the respective short circuit current at the final point of utilization as well as the uh, as the um you know the the uh, full loop impedance so there's additional test requirements there's also selectivity requirements with numbers of rcds needed at different positions within the the um the uh, the icus and the other terminology that they have in bs 7909 so there's there's a there's a there's a tighter level of control and a much tighter level of certification and there's dedicated bs 7909 certification it's not bs 7671 certification there's a dedicated certificate type in there and if you aren't familiar with that you need to obviously seek further understanding or technical information on that one but if you ever put in a temporary supply for a client then you want to have reference to that standard there so those are supplementing BS 7671 they're supporting it okay so we had the inclusion of scope we then need an exclusion so that's 110.2 What types of system are not included? So we've got distribution for electricity to the public. Um, We commonly refer that to ESQCR, the electricity, safety, quality, continuity regulations. We have motor vehicles, ships, offshore installations, aircraft, mines. These are higher risk environments, tighter controlled environments, or maybe they're environments that go around the world internationally, like ships and aircraft. So they have their own technical standard um instead of having you know compliance with a certain country in the world so you can see how you can easily get a a, a question with that with regards to inclusive and exclusive so one of these would be mixed in with the other we then have 113.1 equipment it just says regulations apply to items of equipment only so far as selection and application of the equipment in installation it does not deal with the requirement for the construction of assemblies so there's a whole different array of BS standards for manufacturing. As far as BS 7671 is concerned though what we need to do is identify when we select a piece of electrical equipment we need to identify the environment it will be used in, the competency of the user whether they're ordinary or they're skilled or instructed if trains required and most importantly the um, suitability of the equipment for the demand placed upon it will its life be diminished in the normal selection if we select a piece of electrical equipment and we put it in a, a way or we put it into use in a way that's not optimal and its life is diminished then we're creating risk, risk of fire, risk of electric shock. So we must assess for those risks and actually uh, go backwards and select better electrical equipment. So we've always got to make sure we've selected it appropriately. And that's where equipment comes in BS 7671 with selection of equipment. We must make sure that the equipment is designed and selected to suit use, normal service use. Um, including, you know, bear, bear in mind, you can be working with a client at quiet time, ask where they're going to be going in two or three years. Are they planning on, in, on increasing production or increasing gro- you know, increasing, um, growth, for example, you know, so is this electric equipment going to be applying a lot more stress or under a lot more load in X months time. So you need to try and get that picture when you select electric equipment and verify that what you are selecting is suitable for service. We then have 114, which is an interest regulation because a lot of people still get a bit confused with it. So this is relationship with statutory regulations. It just, it says it straight away. They are non-statutory. So the wine regulations are not a legal requirement. They may however be used in court of law in evidence to claim compliance with a statutory requirement. The relevant such provisions are listed in appendix two. So if we actually go to appendix two, we can see that a couple of these legislations are mentioned just as an idea so we have appendix Two, statutory regulations and associated memoranda okay I'm assuming you found that now if not you know I'm not gonna say page numbers 359 Um, just pause the video if you haven't found it yet and it just gives us there, in the UK, the following classes of electrical installations are required to comply with the statutory regulations it bl- indicated below. Okay, so for distribution, it says the electricity, safety, quality and continuity regulations. A bit like I just said. And obviously they're looked at by the health and safety executive. Buildings generally. Points to the building regulations mainly work activities is electricity work regulations and so on uh, so there's a bit of information on legislations and laws and things like that and that's that's a good reference point really alright it then says in the I'm back in uh, 114.1 now it then says in the paragraph below for a supply given in the course with the ESQCR it should be deemed that the connection with earth of the neutral of the supply is permanent So it's not temporary, it's not bolted, it's not screwed, it's a permanent connection. Outside England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland confirmation shall be sought from the distributor that the supply conforms to the requirements corresponding to those of the ESQCR in respect. Okay. Uh, The last bit of this chapter 11 section 115 premises subject to licensing. Um, This is obviously for installation premises of which a licensing or other authority exercises a statutory control, the requirements of that authority shall be ascertained and complied with in design and execution of the installation. I've experienced this in a number of ways. Um, as an installation electrician, I experienced this when I worked at a high security um, hot hospital where uh, the patients were um, vulnerable. Very very popular hospital in the Crowthorne area, and we had to install um, we had to uh, uh, we had to install some socket outlets at extra low voltage, and then we ended up having them changed to from um, pelv to self. So we had to have them electrically separated due to the fact that these these um, patients required access to power in their um, their, their their rooms. Um, but they were vulnerable to their own actions and so they had a rules procedure created and they created this line that said that, we, that it'd be an isolating transformer and um, some of them were allowed uh, like a, an isolating transformer up to the 250 volts of an isolating transformer uh, but some were only allowed um, ELV isolating as well because of extra risks. So they exercised a control over the norm and we had to follow that now i've also worked private i've also worked in the private food sector as a consultant developing electrical safety rules and electrical safety procedures with companies um to allow them to exercise a higher level of control so they dictate uh, you know the systems of work the the requirements with regards to selection of components and panels and things like that so any electricians that go to those firms they comply with BS 7671 but they also have to comply with the rules of the company so it might be that the company has chosen a brand of this or a brand of that because all they're thinking about later on is what they've got to maintain once you've installed it so they have a spec or they have a method of work that both helps them maintain in the future and ensures safe working practices when you're there so these are examples of um, other controls really that you can have. We then move on to chapter twelve. So this is um, object and effect. So you know what, what what's it going to do? What's the regulations going to do? So it says the standard contains the rules for the design, erection, and verification of electrical installations so as to provide for safety and proper functioning for the intended use. So there's a good key word there the intended use, we need to understand how the electrical system is intended to be used once it has been um, commissioned. This can raise a question if, for example, you're installing a supply to an empty business unit for a landlord and the landlord says, just put XYZ power over there. If you don't really know the requirements of the tenant or the, uh, the occupier, it could be that you have to re-inspect, um, something that landlords need to really consider. You know, is is you know they may say to a client, "Oh, you have this amount of power, you have this limit of power," but it might be that a client moves in and just has to adapt or has to adjust. Um, previous training company I used to work for had that in a, they had a, a training centre in Watford and it was upstairs in a in an office, but it was you know it was it was in a an office block and so you had like sockets in the floor you know the, the power tracks and we weren't using any of that we had to have extra 16 amp sockets um, and 30 amp sockets for the test base so we had to put in a new board we had to put in a whole new, node, a whole new, new load of wiring so you, the actual existing subsystem was heavily underused and we had to put in something else so you do need to make sure you know the intended use through the procedure of design. It then says, chapter 13, which we're gonna talk about in a sec, uh, gives us the fundamental principles. It does not include detailed technical requirements, which may be subject to modification because of technical developments. Um, That makes a lot of sense when you think about the fact that this book is published every three or four years or so, whilst technical developments such as manufacturers are changing almost on the daily. So they can't go into the nitty gritty of technical detail. What they will say, and you'll see this in a minute in uh, chapter 13, is follow the manufacturer's instructions. So if we do that, then we can rely on the manufacturers to have that later uh, standard test condition, that later compliance standard in the manufacturing process. And so they'll have the technical information which we'll also collect and we'll put into our OEM, our operation manual on completion of our electrical installation. Standards set out the technical requirements to enable electrical installations to conform with the fundamental principles of Chapter 13 as follows. So it just gives us parts three to seven. So the assessment general characteristics, followed by the protection for safety, followed by etc. etc. I kind of covered this um, this um, process in the introduction video, but it covers it throughout. Then has this last little bit which says any intended departure from these parts requires special consideration by the designer or the installation and shall be recorded on the appropriate electrical certification specified in part six. The resulting degree of safety of the installation shall be not less than that obtained by compliance with the regulations. That's that's an important thing to understand. So if we are going to depart from BS 7671, we must verify That the departure, whichever, whatever it is that we're doing, will not result in a less safe scenario. So if, for example, a client said that they wanted that socket outlet adjacent to the bath within this boundary that we're not allowed to have it. um, If it's less safe, it's a no. We can't do that. If, for example, the client was to bring a luminaire home from their holidays and we had no CE mark or manufacturing information at all, we then technically can't comply with Part 5, where we need to verify the selection and direction of equipment. We may choose to carry out some inspections or some tests to determine the you know, the effectiveness of the installations, the conductor's um, continuity and resistance measurements, just to get an understanding on how it's been manufactured. If we conclude it to be safe, just obviously made outside of the country so not with the same paper trail we can conclude that we may then choose as long as the client or the architect or ourselves is happy we may then choose to bring that in but as it doesn't comply with part five we'd have to put a departure down in the form there and you know for example we may even put in any measurements that we've got we may recommend at the interval of periodic inspection that this luminaire is not allowed to be sampled and it must be inspected. So we can introduce little things like that, but as as it wasn't apl- uh, compliant with part five at the initial point where we installed it, we'd have to introduce it as departure. And it now says that has to be recorded on the certificate. Okay, so we must, we must make sure any departures are not less safe, the normal compliance with the regulations. We then are introduced to chapter 13, the fundamental principles, which is basically a way of saying, what are the basics? What are the must have basics of BS 7671? So we must have, and we must achieve protection for safety. Okay, it says 131.1, the requirements of this chapter are intended to provide for the safety of persons, livestock, and property against dangers and damage which may arise in reasonable, reasonable use. So if it's used in an unreasonable way, then maybe that's not a problem. But if you're using it in a reasonable way, you must not be, you, livestock, or property must be not be exposed to any risk from using the electrical system. Okay. And it gives us... Um, Some examples of what we're looking at. So we have risks from shock current, excessive temperature, likely to cause fire, burns, injurious effects, ignition of a potentially explosive atmosphere, under voltages, power supply interruptions, arcing and burning. So there is a number of scenarios. There are a number of risks that can occur. It's not just electric shock. We've got to think of all these other scenarios that can occur and all the risks to persons, livestock and property from working with an electrical system and then in 131.2 introduces this principle that we will repeat a lot especially in chapter 41 and this is protection against electric shock 131.2 so it tells us basic protection persons and livestock will be protected against dangers that may arise from contact with live parts of the installation this will be achieved by one of the following methods so preventing a current from passing through the body of any personal livestock how do we do that insulation barriers obstacles placing out of reach or limiting the current which can pass through the body to a non hazardous value Okay, so isolating transformers, extra low voltage lighting, uh, sorry, extra low voltage supplies, having safer voltages, touch voltages, bonding. Uh, But basic protection, we're actually thinking maybe about electric fences kind of thing. High voltage, very low current. The current is limited to a non hazard value. Okay, so when we think about basic protection here, what it's saying is we insulate it so that we cannot receive electric shock if we do receive electric shock remember this also complies to livestock we need to make sure that their electric shock is going to create harm so we limit the current to a non-hazardous value and whilst electric you know whilst electric fences, is bloody earth the current is deliberately small enough to not harm the animal okay just throws them off So that's how basic protection is achieved. So from from our everyday principle, we're looking at barriers, enclosures, obstacles, placing out of reach. What stops you touching things that are life? Yeah. Um, So that's the basic. But we also need to think about what could happen in a fault scenario. So we have fault protection to go with that. So fault protection. Persons and livestock shall be protected against dangers that may arise from contact with exposed conductive parts during a fault. This protection can be achieved by one of the following methods. So preventing the current resulting from a fault from passing through the body of any person or any livestock. Limiting the magnitude of the current from the fault to a non-hazardous value. And limiting the duration of the current to a non-hazardous time period. Okay. To so preventing a current from passing uh, Result from a fault from passing through the body of any person or any livestock. So, we have obviously typically um, double insulation. So, if there is a single fault condition, there's another layer of insulation. So, fault current will not find a way outside of that class of equipment to the person. Similarly, with class one items or anything like that, we'll have the ADS process. We'll have the earth in the bonding present. We'll take that current away, removing that exposed live part. But we have to combine these next two for that. So, bonding is going to lower the potential okay so it's going to limit the value of the fault but we have to have the earthing to work with the bonding and the earthing is where we actually take the fault away quickly okay so earthing is all about limiting the duration of the fault and bonding is all about limiting the value of the fault so in a fault condition we must have a combination of all of these as well We're going to repeat basic and fault protection a lot. I guess I said earlier. Especially in part four. So we'll need to remind ourselves. That basic is a fault free thing. So insulation barriers. Placing out of reach. Fault protection. Is a single fault thing. So that's earthing, bonding, suitable protective devices. For example. We then have. Protection Against Thermal Effects. Now, the installation shall be so arranged that the risk of ignition of flammable materials due to high temperature or electric arc is minimized. In addition, during normal operation of the electrical equipment, there shall be minimal risk of burns to persons or livestock. Now, we're going to cover this a lot more in Chapter 42, Protection Against Thermal Effects. Okay, but it then says, persons, livestock, fixed equipment, and fixed materials adjacent to equipment shall be protected against harmful effects of heat, or thermal radiation emitted by the equipment, in particular the following so combustions of stored material, risk of burns, etc. Okay, so it's a fundamental principle of the wiring systems, okay, of the electrical installations to achieve protection against thermal effects. That's why chapter 42 is there. It's a fundamental principle to achieve protection against electric shock. That's why chapter 41 is there. It's also a fundamental principle to achieve protection against overcurrent. It says persons and livestock shall be protected against injury and property shall be protected against damage due to excessive temperatures and electromechanical stresses caused by overcurrents. Okay? Same with fault current. We need to consider when we have a fault condition, we deliberately install a circuit of low impedance to achieve a fault current of high value. The objective of that is the higher the fault current, the shorter the duration the quicker the fault is cleared. What we need to consider however is when we achieve these low impedances to achieve these high currents for short duration this high current for this short duration can the live conductors operating limiting temperature their insulation tolerate this increase in current for this duration. And then later on in fifty four, chapter 54 we'll also be saying can that protective conductor, if the protective conductor is being used in an fault, can that protective conductor actually carry that current for the required duration as well. So we'll look at the thermal um, gains and we'll look at the electromechanical stresses during fault conditions. Two different areas and that's protection against overcurrent and protection against fault current. We'll cover that one in chapter 43, later on. It also says then protection against voltage disturbances and measures against electromagnetic disturbances and that's chapter 44. So we've got to consider any disturbances in the voltage, either a loss of voltage, a over voltage, an over voltage of manual cores, such as introducing a load that's large in inductance, such as a motor. Or it could be an over-voltage of atmospheric origin, such as a lightning strike. It could be an under-voltage where you've lost a phase uh, on a three-phase motor, for example. So we've got to consider the potential losses or gains in voltage and the risks on equipment that comes with that, and we'll cover that in chapter 44. We then move on to 132, which is the design. So let's let's remember that this is a fun, this is, um. Telling you the basics requirements, and we're going to cover all of this stuff in a lot more depth as we go through parts four and five. So, the design it says the installation shall be designed by one or more skilled persons. We'll talk about the skilled person in the part two video to provide for the protection of persons, livestock, and property in accordance with 131. We've just looked at that and a proper functioning of the electrical installation in the intended use. Okay, characteristics of available supply or supplies. So it gives us, so we're going to go through these different regulations very briefly because we're going to repeat them as we go later on. Information on the characteristics of the available supply or supplies shall be determined by calculation, measurement, inquiry, or inspection. It depends on what you're looking at, really, doesn't it? Um, you know, you can inquire some things. You can calculate some things. So it's just, it's just a, an overall. So the phone characteristics shall be included in all documentation. The nature of the current, whether it's AC or DC. Purpose and number of conductors. So number of type of live conductors, protective conductors. The value and tolerances of the voltage, the frequency, the maximum current allowable. Um, which is an interesting term, uh, prospective fault current and external earth fault loop impedance. You may know that as the ZE, Protective measures inherent in the supply, such as earth neutral or midwire. And particular requirements of the distributor. So obviously we need to understand how the supply is distributed. We'll look at the earthing systems in part three. But obviously, if it's a TNCS system, we will remind ourselves quite a lot later on that whilst that's a very popular system in commercial industrial systems these days, there are restrictions on the use of PME and pen conductors uh, with certain types of electrical systems. Nature of Demand, 132.3. The number of type of circuits required for lighting, heating, power, control, signaling, communication and information technology shall be determined from the knowledge of the location of points of power demand. So, you know, ask the client, where's this stuff going? Loads to be expected on the various circuits. Daily and yearly variations, that's important. So we mentioned this earlier on, you know, you know, is there a variation in the load? Are you there at quiet time? there's going to be a lot more demand later on. Any special conditions such as harmonics, requirements for control, signaling, communication, information technology, and anticipated future demand if specified. Safety services and standby supplies, then we'll have to consider the characteristics of the supply and the circuits that are to be supplied by the safety source. So we'll have to consider segregation and compartmentalization. We'll cover that later on in safety services section. Environmental conditions we will look at that in chapter 52 or through to appendix five, but that will also tell us about the, um, you know, it'll give us inf- information in regards to IP ratings ingress grip protection and things like that. Also it will tell us about limiting temperatures of conductors and all that stuff. So the environmental conditions are very important. Also with environmental conditions, we've got to consider things like, um, capability of users and building structure. Cross-sectional area of conductors. Okay, this comes up quite often in in, um, questions lately. The cross-sectional area of the conductor shall be determined for both the normal operating condition and where appropriate for the fault conditions according to the admissible maximum temperature. So we must understand the maximum limiting temperature of any conductor. The admissible voltage drop. We'll cover those in section 523 and 525. So that's chapter 52. The electromechanical stresses likely to occur due to short circuit and earth fault current. Actually I just I said that a minute ago, didn't I, about the levels of current in full conditions. It's repeating itself really. Yeah, similar principle there. Massive impedance for correct operation of the short circuit and earth fault protection. So the the uh, the ZS and um, ZN in the case of a short circuit. Method of installation, harmonics and thermal installation. All of this will be covered in 523 and 525. 132.7, the type of method of installation, the type of wiring and method of installation. So the nature of the location, nature of the structure, support in the wiring, etc. So if you're in an industrial environment, you'll probably go with your steel conduit, steel tray, your ladders or whatever. If you're in a school you may have that or you may go for trunking in a classroom or in a schoolroom. If you're domestic you're going to go with twin and earth in the wall, similar things like that. They must be selected to suit though the environment, so voltage, electromechanical stresses and all that stuff. Then we have protective equipment. Overload fault, current over voltage. Select equipment for all of those potentials. mercy control if applicable. Disconnecting devices, that will be provided so as to prevent switching and or isolation of the electrical installation circuits or individual items of equipment as required for operation, inspection, testing, fault detection, maintenance and repairs. All of the above, really. Prevention of mutual detrimental influence. Accessibility of equipment, documentation, protective devices and switches. This you'll see repeated a lot. A single pole fuse switch or circuit breaker shall be inserted in the line conductor only so we don't put a single pole switch in the neutral isolation and switching there'll be effective means to be placed for the ready operation provided that all voltage may be cut off from every installation additions and alterations to an installation no additional alteration, whether it's temporary or permanent, shall be made to an existing installation unless it has been ascertained. So the rating of the condition of any existing equipment, including that of the distributor, will be adequate for the altered circumstance. Furthermore, the earthing and bonding arrangements, if necessary, for the protective measure applied for safety of the additional alteration shall be adequate. Which means in English, when Doris goes to be in by and buys a life fitting for her bedroom, and she goes to install it and realises she doesn't know what she's doing she finally calls an electrician out when the electrician realises that a luminaire is going to go in it's going to increase demand going to add demand to an existing electrical system you're going to then have to consider the additional alteration to the electrical system and you may then have to decide to go and look for the presence of earthing and bonding under her sink and she'll then just start thinking that you're kind of trying to pull fast one mm. but we must verify that if we add any demand any impedances to an electrical system that the existing protective measure, whether it be ADS, uh, double insulation, whatever, is sufficient, because it must be sufficient. If it's not, and we work on a system by increasing an impedance, even maybe decreasing an impedance, which would therefore increase a fault current, that could be a problem. Um, adding a demand, increasing IB, that increases volt drop, Any of these things could make the system less safe if it was already not compliant. And we would sometimes have to improve measures to make it compliant for us to do our work. So that's what they're saying. We need to verify that the ADS and all the other protective measures we choose to use are gonna be safe for our additions and alterations. We then have selection direction of equipment, which tells us Every item of equipment shall comply with the appropriate British or harmonised standard. In the absence of such a standard, though, there will be a reference made to an appropriate international standard or the appropriate standard of another country. So, if they come and they haven't got the standard for the equipment, then you find the standard for where it comes from. If there are no applicable standards, the item of equipment concerned shall be selected by special agreement between the person specifying. The installation and the installer. I mentioned this a minute ago with the departures. If there is special equipment, it has to be agreed. It then mentions underneath. If it is done, it needs to be recorded on the electrical installation certificate specified in part 6. So, yeah. So, that's the departure. We need to know with regards to electrical equipment. We need to know the characteristics. The voltage of the equipment needs to be suitable for the system. The current... The frequency, power, okay. equipment which is selected on the basis of its power shall be suitable for the duty demanded of the equipment, taking into account the load factor and the normal service conditions, so the expected demand of the piece of equipment. Conditions of the install, prevention of harmful effects, new materials or inventions. This one's interesting. So, Where the use of a new material or invention leads to the departures from the regulations, the resulting degree of safety of these links shall be not less than obtained by compliance with the regulations. Such use shall be recorded on the certificate in Part 6. We then have 134, which is initial verification and erection. And this is very important. 134.1.1. I repeat this one nearly on the daily these days. And that is good workmanship by one or more skilled or instructed persons, we'll cover that in part two, and proper materials shall be used in the erection of the electrical installation. The installation of electrical equipment shall take account of the manufacturer's instructions. That sounds easy. Apparently it's not but it should be. The characteristics of the equipment as determined in the course for section 133 shall not be impaired by the process of erection. So the erection of the equipment shall not compromise the requirements of 133. Conductors shall be identified in the course with section 514, 514's identification, so we'll get there later. Where identification of terminals is necessary, they shall be identified in the course with the table in 514. Every joint and connection shall be of proper construction and will have consideration to conductance, insulation, mechanical strength and protection. So they'll be suitable. The equipment shall be installed in such a manner that the design temperatures are not exceeded. So we need to understand the design temperatures. That's the temperatures obviously with regards to the equipment under load with adjacent equipment under load. This can become a big problem. So I see an awful lot of electricians take pictures of their new work and there's a lot of habit these days where people cable tie their cables all together. And there's grouping. Grouping is becoming a big problem. Um, People aren't understanding design temperatures because maybe they're not being told them. The equipment like to cause a high temperature or electric arc should be placed or guarded so to minimise the risk of ignition of flammable materials. We'll cover that in Chapter 42, Protection Against Thermal Effects. We then have initial verification during erection and on completion of an installation or an addition or alteration to an installation. And before it's put into service, there'll be appropriate inspection and testing carried out by skilled persons competent to verify the requirements of this standard have been met. So a couple of things from that. You need to be skilled to know that the requirements of this section have been met. So, you know, you need to know the regulations and you need to know the installations you are inspecting to understand the requirements of that. But you must also do it during the erection process. Quite often, a lot of electricians or contractors will have a team that do the install and a team that do the commissioning um, this can create a problem because you know you'll end up with limitations or not not verified on new installations there should be no limitations no not verified it should all be ticks or not applicables and sometimes when we don't allow a suitable inspection during the erection process there are many things that should have been inspected that cannot be inspected any further uh, and that's just unacceptable. Then there's periodic inspection to finish one three five. It is recommended that every installation is subjected to periodic inspection and testing in accordance with chapter 65. So it's a recommendation. Um the requirements of maintenance in the uh in the legislation is in literacy work regulation four two, which tells the uh the employer to ensure effective maintenance to avoid danger fundamentally that kind of goes in full circle and the recommendation is periodic inspection and testing but you haven't got to do it, it's a recommendation and that's where we're at, we're at the end now of part 1 next video, part 2, definitions I think that's going to be a small one Uh, I don't plan on hanging around that one for too long but we'll keep going in the normal pattern so that's part 1 covered any questions let me know but definitions is next